Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. Pretty good. I haven't gotten out and done my daily exercise, so i got to do that still. Trying to get in shape still, get in a little bit better shape. But uh, some good news today, Bruce, from the NHL, and I think. And uh, so we're going to be talking about that. Gary Bettman's plan for the summer playoffs. Summer playoffs. We'll also talk um, about the NHL's protocol for return, about the Hub City issue, about the coming NHL draft, and a little bit about what we can say with some certainty will happen. Now, the first round, I guess they call it the, the qualifying round playoff series between the Edmonton Oilers and the Blackhawks of Chicago. So, Bruce, um, the most this was all rumored last week uh, at length, and essentially we have a lot of confirmation of what was rumored last week. Bettman, essentially, the plan looks to be playing small groups under the very, very tight. I know there's been some criticism of it, but when I was looking at these conditions, man, they are extremely strict conditions. That these guys are playing under small group play for for the next month they're going to be it looks like skating in small groups so that that might be subject to change no training camp until july 1st then it sounds like a couple weeks maybe a training camp and then maybe mid-july we start with the with the playoffs and i can i can tell you one thing bruce there will be no playoff history there will be no playoff series in history that will be more analyzed to death by the time we get to the Blackhawks Oilers series, <laughs> oh, we got lots of time to do the preview, eh? We can do a preview a day for one on each player on both teams. By the time they get around to <sighs> playing actual games, I think mid July is very optimistic. I think it's more likely to be August. Why do you say that? Well, Batman said July first at the very earliest for that training camp. He said first half of July, which sounded like more like a tell. And I think they said it was going to be three weeks before they actually started playing games. And then, of course, they got right into playing very meaningful games right off the right off the hop with uh, rusty teams. And it's going to be an adventure. My theory is this, Bruce, that he didn't sound at all in any kind of hurry at all mm-hmm. to get the 2020-21 season going, like the next season going. There's an obvious reason for that. I don't think the NHL is that keen on returning to play until they can get fans in the stands. And that is really unlikely to happen next fall, I think. Extremely unlikely. At least, you know, maybe you can get 3,000 fans into a, you know, socially distanced 5,000 fans into a 18,000-seat arena. But to get NHL houses, full houses, that's not going to be happening until I don't, I don't think it's going to be happening until the new year, early in the new year is my prediction. And I and listen, if, if people think I'm being pessimistic on that, I, I will point out I've been the person saying all along, point this out again, that there will be NHL playoffs. I'm very bullish on on that prospect, have been all along, and I, I just think what can reasonably done. I've, I've always looked had the same criteria: what can reasonably be expected given the mood of the public, the spread of the disease, and public health orders. And I just don't see that. So that's why I think that, I don't think there's going to be, I think you're right, actually. 
this could be dragged out. It could be going on um, into early October at the NHL. Into October, yeah, for sure. Then they have a an off season where they're going to have, you know, they're going to need some time to regroup and let the players, you know, at least the players that made it through to the finals have a little bit of time off and, and uh, uh, finish their, uh, um, you know, have the draft, have the, you know, free agent signings, all that. And easily it'd be December. And they, the league's already kind of pinpointed December as a possible startup time for 2021. And I think for the very reason you say that uh, when they get there, they want there to be fans in the stands. This is very much a stopgap to get games played and to maintain interest in the sport. Uh, but there won't be uh, uh, any fans in the stands for the foreseeable future. I maintain it's, it's a slight possibility that by the time you get late into the playoffs, things might have changed. But uh, things are going to start changing for the better, <clears throat> which is a... Uh, which would be a big change of pace from all the other changes we've been seeing lately. Well, in Edmonton, they have been changing. Where we live, they have been changing for the better. I mean, it's there's uh, wow. it's hardly been a new case in you know in a week, and there's 45 active cases. So, but anyway, it has to change elsewhere. Although it is, yeah. the numbers are apparently going down in the states as well, which I think again is not unexpected in summer given the, the what we've experienced with other coronaviruses. So, Bruce, the NHL had a number of criteria for this small group play getting together. Mm -hmm. And to me, the most important question that they had to answer is, what are they going to do if someone tests positive? Is it going to shut down everything? Um, So their whole approach seems to be focused on that, seems to be focused on if there is spread, that they contain the spread. So that's why they're only going to be practicing in small groups of six. Right. Because, and and apparently not allowed to get together, play cards, socialize after practice. Good luck on enforcing that. I, that, that was a recommendation, not a uh, thing that has to happen. But they are very strict. They have very strict rules, at least, in place for, you know, you can't share a towel, can't share a water bottle, got to wear a mask if you're in, a, in like a tight space where you can't otherwise socially distant no coaches on the ice um it's not going to be life as they know it at the rink for nhl players but i think that they they've come up with a it's not reasonable to shut down things if one or two people get sick with with this disease because this is a huge venture for them huge business venture but also because we know that people in this age group if we're if we're looking at people who have risks from this disease mm-hmm. they're they're very this is a non-risk group people in their 20s and 30s right. who are very very healthy um this is this isn't a group that that is under particular threat from this particular virus other groups it's absolutely toxic for people in their 80s obviously and for people who have underlying conditions but for nhl players I think it's reasonable. Personally, I think it's reasonable. If a couple of guys get sick, just shoot them off to the, their bedroom for two weeks and everyone else continues on, especially with the amount of testing that's going to be going on as well. What's your take? Yeah, well, it's more of the coaches and, uh, you know, some yeah. of the elder statesmen around the game that are going to be, uh, uh, you know, more uh, susceptible. But um, uh, as, for, as for the players, it's... Um, uh, you're right. They're in a, a generally low risk group, but it's unrealistic to expect zero. I mean, George Rock just got sick here 
couple of weeks ago, and he's not that far away from having been an NHL player. <clears throat> you know, in the NBA, I think four guys on the uh, was it New Jersey Nets tested positive at one time, and so it's uh, Sen- a couple know. Ottawa Senators were tested it's, positive. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's less likely to kill them. Let's put it that way. But it's uh, it's very unlikely that no one will get sick. So they're going to have to establish a protocol that the health authorities uh, can agree with. That, that, that so it's there's there's uh, it's a it's a huge problem and it's a huge risk. There's no other way to put it. Uh, what what's the risk? Well, if something goes really sideways. You know, if it does, then, you know, it's a disaster. I mean, hopefully it won't, right? But that's, the, you know, that's the, the dice they're rolling if they come up snake eyes. So. Yeah, I, I imagine, like, for healthy, truly healthy people in that age group, the risk factor is is negligible. But it doesn't, it does, it's not zero. Yeah. So I don't um, think it's negligible actually... Negligible times 24 teams is still a lot of... Uh, yeah, you know a lot of potential cases. Healthy people in their twenties. Uh, I'm just disappointed. Yeah. Couldn't have waited two more years, and we could have had a 32 team playoff. <laughs> I'm still upset about that, uh, about that format. But we've been through that. Anyway. All right. Oh, we're not going <laughs> to talk about that. Okay. All right. Well, I'll slip it in time once in a while, like I already just over did the next. Once. Yeah, over the next <laughs> decade or 20 years, you'll still be mentioning well, it now. I'm thinking now. more over the next 30 or 45 minutes, but yeah. <laughs> well, I have a long-term... <laughs> anyway. Uh, you know, Bruce... when I la- list- listed my, aired my grievances last time, I, I left out a huge one, the <laughs> NHL's executive compensation that screwed the Oilers out of two draft picks for Peter Shirelli and, and uh, Todd McClellan. That one's on the permanent marker list. What's that Seinfeld episode where they have? Are they <laughs> the Festivus. Festivus. The arrogant grievances. Every day is Festivus for an Oilers fan. Okay, the draft, Bruce, which you just mm. wrote about. Uh, I huh. now, uh, speaking of non-zero chances of things, the Oilers now have a non-zero chance mm-hmm. of having Alexis Lafreniere on the team next season. I don't want to come about that to come about because for that to come about, the Oilers will have to lose in the first round of Chicago Blackhawks, which I I think would be really freaking frustrating and devastating and horrible. And I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Oilers are going to handle the Hawks and probably easily handle the Hawks. How's that one for you? Um, but Sounds good. They have a chance to get Lafreniere. What what would have to what things have to line up for that to happen? Let's just look at the draft through that lens, the Oilers centric lens. Yeah, they they I, I, I have to give the league credit here, and I, I'm loath to do that under many circumstances. <laughs> but uh, uh, it wouldn't be fair if you didn't actually give credit when it was due. And I think they've come up with a fairly ingenious solution here. And one which actually holds true to their principles, unlike what they did when they canceled the division playoffs, just to get another dig in at that. But what they did with the Great. draft was they, they kept in, <laughs> <laughs> they kept they kept the 15 team draft lottery alive. Uh, and what they're going to do is uh, an up to two phase lottery, 
where phase one, they're actually going to hold it on June 26th, which is the actual date the original draft was supposed to be held. And so that's when they're going to do their initial draft lottery. So they're actually going to deliver a product, made-for-TV product, which is a draft lottery. It's not the draft, but it's something that's, you know, legit, that they'll be able to air on TV. And the problem before was, the thinking was, well, they can, if they have the draft before the season's over, that's going to suck. If they have the draft lottery before the season's over, that's potentially going to be unfair because a team like Chicago could win the draft lottery and then win in the playoffs, right? Uh, and And... So they came up with this, this sort of hybrid solution where they're going to hold the lottery on uh, on June 26th, uh, but only the top seven teams are going to be identified. And, of course, we already know who, the, who those are. Detroit has the number one uh, uh, top odds in the lottery. Uh, Ottawa second and third because Ottawa holds a, holds a, uh, a draft pick. Um, uh, from uh, San Jose, is it, for their Carlson deal, I think it was. So they're second and third. And then all the other of the teams that missed the playoffs are all going to be, uh, uh, it's just going to be a normal draft lottery for them. If they win it, we're going to know that night that Ottawa Senators won the draft lottery. Uh, but what they're going to do then with the other teams, 8 through 15, is that's going to be held in abeyance until we know who teams 8 through 15 are, and that will be determined by whoever loses in the play-in round. Well, there's a problem in that the draft lottery is on June 26th, and the play-in round is probably going to be in August. So what they're going to do is they're going to treat those eight teams as a group. They're going to take all their odds together, which is, adds up to 24.5%, and they're going to throw those odds into a, into a bag. And, and and give those eight teams that 24.5% chance to win the first lottery for first overall. And then however the odds break, depending on who wins the first one, you know, they can go up or down a little bit. But let's call it 25% chance at each draft pick, uh, one, two, or three. If one of the lower teams wins any one of those lotteries, we'll just know that one of the eight teams <clears throat> is going to get uh, that draft pick and we don't know who the eight teams are yet, so it's really one of the 16 teams in the play-in round that's going to get it. Well, they have to play the play-in round. Once that's determined, the eight losers are identified as the eight teams with a shot, and each of them has a one-eighth chance of winning that lottery. So there'll be kind of a second draw to choose which of the play-in losers uh, wins then the, the, uh, uh, the lottery pick draft choice. So... It's it's all a numbers game, and it's um, uh, you know uh, it's just betting odds and probabilities and so on. But this idea of treating the eight teams as a single entity that is you know a pro basically a probability that will be determined at some point in the future. But really, I mean, the seven teams that we know who they are, they have a seventy-five percent chance at each of the each of the draft picks. So there's a good chance that we'll know two or even all three of the lottery winners on June 26th. But they, they've just done this slate of hand to, to delay uh, part of the draft outcome without, or the lottery outcome without uh, having to put the whole thing off. So they've delivered something for TV. 
and yet they've maintained sort of the integrity of the process, at least as is possible, uh, <clears throat> under the uh, stopgap makeshift playoff system that they've incorporated. And most importantly to me, the draft itself, which there was a lot to talk about doing the draft in June before the playoffs, and that was just fraught with all kinds of problems that we talked about and wrote about on the blog. And now that's not going to be the case. The draft will be held after the Stanley Cup is awarded, at which point, you know, all of the uh, the drafting order uh, uh, can be determined. All the teams can focus on that. I mean, imagine having a draft during the playoffs. If your team's still in the playoffs, how the hell is your management going to be working on the draft and the playoffs at the same time? Now that's not an issue. So we're going to see a proper conclusion to the season, then the draft, then next season. And so that that the order of things is going to be maintained. The, the only thing I don't like is, Bruce, is if Edmonton loses to Chicago, Edmonton's, Chicago still drafts earlier in the draft than Edmonton, correct? That, that was... He said that's still based on winning percentage. Yeah, I Edmonton. thought it so, was... I, there's two ways to hear that, and I was so unsure as to what he meant by that that I, I didn't elaborate in my post because I didn't know if he meant the 8 through 15 teams, the losers are grouped by points percentage and then the playoff teams are grouped or if anything outside the lottery itself is done by points percentage. And again, that's a crucial distinction. Hopefully someone will will ask the right question and we'll get the answer. Sounded to me like we were going to get screwed there. So Well, you can probably lay your money on that happening, David. <laughs> Drink. Ben Dacky Gustafson says hi. <laughs> All right. So the Oilers to get that Lafreniere pick, one of the oh, uh, one of the in the first lottery, one of the bottom eight, seven. It's eight teams. One eight. of the bottom eight teams have to win one of those three picks. Yeah. And then yeah. the Oilers would have. So one of those or the first pick would have to win yeah. the first pick to get Lafreniere. Yeah. And then that pick is kind of held in, you know, held in, what's that word? Um, what's abeyance. Held in abeyance by by the NHL. Mm-hmm. And then all the eight teams that lose in the, in the right. qualifying round go into a pool. They pick one name out of the hat from the eight teams, and that team actually gets the first pick. And that team could be the Edmonton Oilers. So, yeah, so three things would have to happen, right? The First of all, one of the bottom eight teams would have to win the lottery. Or is that yeah. 24.5% chance would have to come in first? Then the Oilers got to Then lose. the Oilers would have to lose to Chicago. And they got to win the And play. then the Oilers would have to win the one in eight shot at the lottery pick. And you add it all up. If you, just for back in the envelope purposes, let's call all the playoffs 50-50 series. Uh, there's about a 1.5% chance that the Oilers would wind up with Lafreniere. On the other hand, there's about a 3% chance that they would win the requisite five series to win the Stanley Cup. So we're talking about low odds for either extreme. and Very well, high chances the Oilers are somewhere in the middle of the bell curve, you know. The 3% chance that the Oilers have, Bruce, I, I'm saying is higher than that because the Oilers are a damn good team right now. And right. Uh, I'm going to get into that a little bit right now. I, Bruce, this is, um, a lot of the teams are going to have good depth. But the teams that weren't intending to make the playoffs, like the, the Hawks and the Montreal Canadiens and such, they depleted their teams before the playoffs. They traded yeah. away players. Yeah. So so there's a there's a bit of a double whammy on them in that regard, like or a whammy, I should say, a single whammy on them because they're going to be in the playoffs, but they don't have Robin Leonard. They don't have Eric Gustafson. We talked about this before. But the Oilers, their, their, their roster, 
I mean, it, listen, listen, in January, Bruce, in February, early February, they were playing Josh Archibald on the top line with Connor McDavid. We are not going to have to see that in the NHL playoffs because they picked up two guys in Ennis and Athanasiu. There's essentially, if you keep the dynamite line together of Leon Dreisaitl, Kyler Yamamoto, and Nugent Hopkins, and I think you'd be crazy not to. If you keep that best line in the NHL right now together, you have to play with McDavid. You have you have a choice of Ennis and Athanasiu, and Ennis did very well with McDavid in the regular season. You have a choice of Cassian and James Neal on the other side, or Alex Chason even. And whoever doesn't make it out of that that group of players on the McDavid line, they go play on the fourth line as the wingers. So this this the depth on this Oilers team is unlike anything we have seen since the 1990s, Bruce. This is the deepest Oilers team since the Stanley Cup teams that we saw then. And it's got the biggest superstars since we saw then. And the, the depth extends on the defense. What this team lacks, what we don't know that they're going to have, that those great 1990s teams had, was, was fantastic goaltending. But that's the big question mark for me. This Oilers team is, to me, one of the, one of the favorites to win the Stanley Cup, as it stands right now, with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in their prime, determined to win. I mean, I've been watching this Michael Jordan series. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, is Connor McDavid the Michael Jordan of the NHL right now? He, he, he's not that dominant, but he's close. He's that good. He's close. And, you know, dry, we got our Scottie Pippen and Dreisaitl. These, these players are fanatically determined to win. You can see that in everything McDavid's ever said and done. And I see them um, willing their way far into the playoffs this year. Bruce, one of the things that gives me hope is, and this is what I did my post on today, is the Oilers' uh, third line. When they brought mm-hmm. up, before they brought up Yamamoto, they didn't have any lines that were functioning properly. The second they brought him up, almost the next game, they had three lines functioning properly. The McDavid line, the, the Dynamite line. And then this third line, which we only saw for a short time because Joachim Nygaard got hurt. But Riley Sheehan, Joachim Nygaard, and uh, Josh Archibald were a fantastic third line. And I was trying to think when was the last time we saw, had such a fantastic third line in the owners. And I couldn't – who was the third line on the two, 2016? Because I think it's, it's, it's that line that would compare. But these guys, they really played well together. Who was the third line? Was it Pekka? In 2006. Yeah, Pekka was uh, uh, Pekka was 3C, I think, was designated as a 3C. I don't think in terms of who the they had, who they lined up with in, this. in the I playoffs. Do. You can't remember this? <laughs> <laughs> you remember everything, Bruce. Well, depends. It's 1990 or before, yeah. <laughs> Anything later than that is so, short-term memory, and that's a lot more... Uh, Right. Yeah, okay. Let me just <laughs> let me just Google this. I mean, I can tell you who all I tell you who the forwards were, but uh, yeah. On the team, were. I couldn't remember it either. Fortunately, Bruce, mm-hmm. unlike in the past, we'd have to go, you know, go through books and, and things like that to remember. But now it's just right at our fingertips, and we can look at who the forwards. Were. So they had um. Except my computer's going slowly. Here we go. And they had Stahl, Horkoff, and then Pekka were the... Okay, so top the top line is Hemsky, Horkoff, and Smith, right? Mm-hmm. And then they have Stoll, Rafi Torres, and Pisani, mm-hmm. Dvorak, Ethan Morrow, and oh, Pekka. 
And Samsonov's also on this team. Yeah, so was there yeah, was there a third line Dvorak, Pekka, and Morrow? With I, with Stoll, Pisani, and Torres on the second line? I can't remember. I was thinking Torres played with Pekka, but Yeah, I think you're right. Anyway, this is the best third line. I, this is the best third line that we've had since then, Bruce. And it's it they really played well. I mean, Shane is a very responsible defensive hockey player in the slot, defensive slot. He he was better than any other order center in that role this year. Better than any other order center we've seen in a long time, I believe, in that role. And then you got these two fast, pesky, buzzy, quick wingers going up and down. And that line was really strong until uh, Nygaard got injured and Archibald also had to be bumped off that line. So I'm bullish. What about you? Well, I wouldn't confuse Riley Shane with Michael Pekka. Let's put it that way. But uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, uh, I liked him better with the two speed burners on on the two wings rather than Kara on one of the wings. I mean, beginning of the season it was Kara with Shea and Archibald, and the line as the trio wasn't quite fast enough. Well, Egard certainly solved that problem. So, well, Bruce, here's one for you. Michael Pekka in that year that we uh, had in question mm-hmm. had. 21 points in 71, 23 nine, points. In nine 70. goals, wasn't it? Nine goals. Yeah. And, and Shan had eight goals and 15 points in 66 games. So maybe not that crazy. I mean, I'm not saying that, that actually those two players, they're such different hockey players. It's kind of hard to compare them, isn't it? But uh, I, I'm saying defensively, Shane is, is a very, very strong hockey player. And I, I, I don't think he had quite the offensive game that Pekka did. Uh, but defensively, I think that he's uh, Peck is equal. I think I have a lot of respect. And listen, he proved it on the penalty kill, Shan. He was, I think, he was the best player on the penalty kill, and um, the biggest reason why the Oilers penalty kill was, depending on how you rank it, either the fifth best or the third best in the NHL this year. We've we've decided to go with fifth best. Uh, that's looking at goals for versus goals against. How many goals? Short shorties for versus goals against. They were the fifth ranked penalty kill. So, what are you thinking about the, about the coming uh, series against the Hawks? Any early thoughts? Oh well, the Hawks—they uh, scare me a little bit in that they've, you know, they have a lot of champions on that team. I mean, they still have Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook. Corey Crawford playing in critical roles. Now, I mean, the, the years have uh, have taken a toll on some of those guys. I'm especially thinking of Seabrook here. He's not um, even going to play. Well, maybe not. We'll see. But uh, I, I do know, yeah, he's maybe he's the one. Because somebody said something uh, that I meant to follow up on. They were talking about not only the Hawks had made those trades at the deadline, but they'd also committed early to some guys having off-season surgery because they thought they were done and they thought let's get these surgeries in early so they'll be ready for training camp but apparently they might not be ready for for uh play-in series i'm sure probably uh um brent seabrook's one of those players i don't know it sounded like there was more than one i i uh too far removed from chicago both in terms of distance but also in months since i've seen him play that i'm Got my, fully got my head around them. Oh, Andrew Shaw is the other okay. one. They're okay. not expecting back. 
And I don't mm-hmm. know if they had either had surgery, Bruce, but I do know. I, I read a, a blog post from a Chicago oh. fan okay. uh, who, who writes about the team regularly. And he's, they're not expecting Andrew Shaw, which was a huge relief to me, or Seabrook back. Mm-hmm. Andrew Shaw, because he's a dirty player mm-hmm. and might hurt somebody. Sorry, Andrew Shaw, but just tell Yeah, he, he's a bit of a weasel of a player for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, they have, they have good, I won't they have miss. Good I won't six. miss them. I won't miss them. Let's put it that way. But uh, they do have, you know, they do have, and uh, they have experience and they have pride, and they have an opportunity that they didn't think they were going to have. And their uh, their top six forwards are really strong. I mean, they have Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Dominic Kubalik, who had thirty goals. Excuse me, yeah. thirty goals. Alex DeBrincat, who had an off year, forty five points in seventy games. Dylan Strom, 38 points in 58 games, and Brandon Saad, 21 goals. So uh, they have a top six that um, is going to be a very interesting matchup for the Oilers. But between the between the th- the good th- here's here's why I was so excited about the third line that the Oilers have. That line uh, started most of its shifts in the defensive zone. Clearly, Tippett is going to rely on that line against one of these top uh, two lines. So what that does is either going to free up McDavid or free up Drysaddle to go against Chicago's third or fourth line, and those lines, Bruce, not very impressive at all with the Blackhawks. That's a real hole on their team. They kind of look like a fairly makeshift group of players, as far as I can tell. Maybe I'm underestimating them. Probably I am, but um, there's no one who really stands out there. I mean, Kirby Doc is still very young, and um, you know. Great Kajulas in the mix there. And, you know, that seems to be about the general level of the player. Um, they're going to be. Drake Kajula is a lot more likely to help Chicago than Brandon Manning is to help Edmonton. I'll say that. <laughs> I'm going to go way out on them. <laughs> I don't think Brandon Manning's going to be in the Edmonton quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bettman said today that they wanted to li- limit each team's entourage to 50 or fewer people. And how many of those, I mean, obviously you have the 20-man roster and the 23-man roster, uh, but there would be some kind of Black Aces crew of extras for injuries. I mean, you'd have to have a third goalie in case something happened. And it wouldn't be like, well, let's wait the two weeks while the guy clears quarantine. They'd have to be ready to go and they'd have to be there. And I don't know what's going to be the right number for that, because if you're a black ace and you're well down the list in terms of you're almost sure not to play, uh, that's a huge ask of that guy to come in and give up time and, you know, practice on the B team and probably not even necessarily the same ice time as the main team. I don't know. It's uh, it, it's it's a bit of a juggling act as to what's the right number of extras. Uh, to have on board, but I think they could have 20 extras and Brandon Manning would not be one of them. Yeah, I think that's safe to say because based on his play this year, he, he was well, just terrible at the his, NHL level. Let's call it his performance. Yes, his overall his performance. Yeah, so we could see Tyler Benson coming in, right? That's mm-hmm. That seems like yeah, sure. this guy. Um, Evan Bouchard coming in, right? Mm-hmm. Josh that's Curry, true. Josh Curry probably, mm-hmm. um, who's who's got NHL experience. Mm-hmm. Um Joe Gambardella, who has NHL experience. After that, they, the Pickens are starting to look pretty slim, even on the farm team. I guess, um, I don't think they, well, they'll have William Logason, of course, but they wouldn't have, um, you know, Marcus Granlund. Would he possibly be there, I guess? 
Yeah, he's an interesting case in that he's already committed to a team over in Europe and that there could be an overlap in terms of time frames. But his contract is with the Oilers. And I mean, Bettman didn't discuss this today either, but it's one of the details that's going to have to get worked out. All these contracts that supposedly expire on June the 30th when there's games still to be played. So there's going to be some yeah, kind of blanket extension uh, to that. But if you're a player who's who's committed to playing over in Europe next year and they have two different schedules, which way are you going to play? Are you going to head for home? I think it's quite likely that he might just say. I guess they might bring in Maximov and McLeod. Um, you know, this is a chance to develop these players too. Thomas Yurcho would be in the running, I guess. If he's healthy, uh, yeah, he, he's coming back off of surgery. But yeah, uh, yeah you're, we're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. And the whole point being that these are not guys that are going to play games. It's only would be a disaster of an injury bug before you need to use those guys. Well, that's it. The orders are so deep, too. It's like, you know, the, on defense, they've got like Mike Green and eight, Matt Benning. They, got they both they got sit out. Real, and they, they got eight real defensemen, yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Nine, Does that include Lagesson? Lagesson yeah. would be the ninth. Yeah, so that's... Um, that's pretty good. That's why I'm optimistic, Bruce, because this is a this is a team that has enough depth. There's players. If you lose a few, few players, there's some good players to to fill in there. And of course, you can't lose your key players, but um, there's some pretty strong foot soldiers just waiting to go. Like Alex Chason, is he even going to be in the lineup? Uh, you know, he's a very good player. Is Matt Benning? So, so this, this, these are the questions the orders have. They're very, very good questions for a team heading into the playoffs. So. <sighs> be yeah, my concern is yeah. more the crapshoot of the of the scenario where you drop guys in after three months of laying off and say, all right, you're in the playoffs, get going. And I've been watching this German soccer since it's come back, you know, the Bundesliga. Yeah. And man, the 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 uh, the, the teams are very uneven. Some of the teams look very rusty and sloppy and bad. And I mean, some of them are bad. But some of them come back and just haven't looked sharp at all, and, and others look pretty good. And you, until you open the box, you don't know what you're going to get. Well, this is my other reason for the optimism for the Oilers. And I don't know this, but I just have a sense. Like, the difference between the Oilers right now and the Blackhawks is the Oilers have been, since since they went away, they've been expecting to come back and play in the playoffs. Right. So the, you'd think, like, up until now, these players have been working, 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 working. With the Blackhawks, who knows what they've been doing. And so psychologically, physically, the orders have been geared up for the playoffs. This is going to give them... Now, it's still not for six weeks, so that's a long time for the Blackhawks to still get their heads around it. But it still gives the orders an advantage. I think there's... That, that if I was betting on which team is going to be sharp, I'm saying Edmonton. Okay. Uh, no, I'm just setting myself up for major disappointment, right. of course. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that I'm not a prediction that I'm it's this is a this is me the fan talking as much right. as I, I'm not making a you know a pr prediction for what it's worth I always hope for the best for the Oilers and expect them to win even when they bit were a terrible team I did so don't don't uh, obviously don't put any money on what I'm saying here but I, I I just I'm really optimistic right now about this team Bruce and Mike Smith played very well also here's another thing in the playoffs last year for Calgary, apparently. He was apparently their best player in the playoffs, I think I've heard. So uh, well, That's a low bar. Did you see Calgary in the playoffs <laughs> last year? No, I didn't. I didn't watch Mike Smith, in both games in Colorado, he faced over 50 shots. Two games in a row, 50 shots. Oh, my goodness. As Calgary's uh, supposedly cracked defense cracked it right in front of him. 
I love it that the Flames have to play the Jets. <laughs> that's oh, my that's, favorite first-round matchup. That's the one that actually almost looks like a rivalry since they went away from the division structure. I love that. Let them beat up on each other and uh, go hard at it. All righty. Anything else? Do we Have we covered the... Well, the regular season's over. I mean, that's the other oh, thing that's pronounced. Yeah. So we've got uh, Edmonton Oilers. have got uh, yet another Art Ross Trophy winner, Leon Dreisaitl, has won the scoring title in 2019-20 with 110 points. A nifty 13-point bulge over uh, teammate Connor McDavid for the for the win. So he was he was almost home and cooled out even before. But this just sort of finalizes that fact first German to win a, uh, a uh, major individual trophy in the NHL I'm pretty sure and he's uh, uh, about uh, to win another yeah well yeah he's he's a heavy I heard a few people on the score and other places today talking about uh, sorry Sportsnet 360 and other places today talking about um, uh, him now being almost a slam dunk to get the get the uh, heart because you know those last games that anything that might have happened to take it away from him didn't happen. So, well, Bruce, Bruce, I think he, Bruce, I think he can make a good case, but I'm not counting on the heart. But the Art Ross is in the bag. He's won it, and he's the third different Oiler to win the Art Ross Trophy. Uh, he's the 72nd winner of that trophy, which was first awarded to Elmer Locke back in 1947-48, Montreal Canadiens, and. Do you know that of those 72 um, Art Ross winners, uh, Edmonton Oilers have 10. And they're one of only two teams in NHL history to have 10 scoring champions over the over the history of the Art Ross trophy. If you went way back to the very beginning, you'd find Montreal Canadiens and others uh, probably had accumulated a few more before the trophy was given out. And even Toronto Maple Leafs, I mean, Gordy Drillon won it as recently as 1937-38 for the Leafs. But uh, since then, they've uh, they've drawn a blank. <laughs> but the Oilers have won ten, and only the Pittsburgh Penguins of Mario Lemieux, Yarmir Yager, Sidney Crosby, and of Jenny Malkin, all of the multiple Art Ross trophies, who have won a total of fifteen among them, only the Penguins have won the Art Ross more often than the Oilers. So, Bruce, there's one thing I would say about Drysdale on the MVP. Uh, mm-hmm. Word is that you, you're overlooking one thing that Artemi Panarin did lead the New York Rangers into the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did now. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to do it, you, on can't, you can't take playoffs, that. You can't hold that against him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Patrick that Kane, funny? too, right? Yeah. That argument, you, if that argument, well, Panarin, you, know, it, you know, just to, to, to <laughs> the 30,000 foot view, Panarin had a fantastic season. He he's really a winger. Did. Yeah. Wow. Wingers, <laughs> come on. He's a winger. If he was good at defense, he'd play center. You know, you know what? I, I don't, I'm not against wingers ever winning it, but if there's a winger and a center and they're close at all and people comparing them, you know, they're on ice numbers or whatever. Come on. He's a winger. Leon Dreisaitl is a center. It's 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 the it's a far more important defensive position, and although Dry and we saw that Drysaddle actually struggled at it for a time, but when he he also played very well at times as a defensive center. So anyway, uh, that's my well, own the last bias. Two, last two Hart Trophy winners were in fact wingers, uh, Nikita Kucherov and Taylor Hall. So 
Yeah, and I wouldn't have given it to Hall. I would have given it to Kucherov, though. He, I think he, uh, he, he met the standard of being so much better than everyone else that year. And Lef- you know, we can think of other wingers who have won it and obviously deserve to win it. I'm not saying you never. I'm just saying if they're close, and they're not even that close. I don't think Dreisaitl is was ahead of of Panarin this year. But if they're close, come on, give it. You give it to the center. That's that's uh, where the the horse, the two way horses play. Generally speaking, at center more so than on the wing. And I, that's what I'm saying. All right. Well, what, I'm, what I'm saying is the bigger concern is Dreisaitl getting left off the all-star team because half of the writers thought he was the center and the other half thought he was a winger. Oh, it's sure to happen. It happened. <laughs> Phil Esposito, what was the year? Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil Esposito and Bobby Clark. One year, I think Bobby Clark won the MVP award, but Phil mm-hmm. Esposito was the top first all-star and Clark was the second, if I'm not mistaken, that year. Mm-hmm. I could see yeah. Dreisaitl being on the yeah, second Wayne all-star Gretz- team. Wayne Gretzky did that twice, I think. Where he was on the second all-star team? Yep. What? And they yep. got, like, Marcel Dion was ahead of him or something, and Trache, something like that? I believe like so, and the other time it was, uh, it was Mario that got uh-huh. the first all-star, and Wayne was his first year in L.A., and they gave, and he got the heart. So, all right, all right, Bruce. Well, I am finally like oh. I, you know, I've been talking as if the playoffs have been real for for a while now, and, and like looking forward to the Chicago series. But now it feels like you can really get into those two, black three box. months, and we're ready to roll, eh? Five months from now, we will see those playoffs. Yeah, well, I don't know why they don't mention, mentioning those famous names. I'll just bring up my last little factoid that the last okay. two teammates to finish one two in the scoring race were uh, Yarmir Yager and Mario Lemieux in 1995-96. It's hard to do in the in the 30 team era, and yet here we are with the Edmonton Oilers, one two in the in the league in scoring. So, and a good supporting cast. A good supporting cast finally put together, Bruce, after all these years of not having that. This team is going places. That's all I'm saying. All right, Bruce, let's leave it there for today. All right. Oh, we didn't – just wait. Was there mm-hmm. one – was there any news on the third-round pick of the Oilers, like the Lucic, non-Neil, the Neil Lucic conundrum? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a few details that have yet to be ironed out, and I understand that the league and the PA are still negotiating. For instance, Mike Smith is probably pretty sour that he got stopped at 39 games played when he had a $250,000 bonus if he played one more game and another 250000 if he played six more games. Uh, so there's stuff like that. There's stuff like the, the, you know, the draft, the conditions of the draft pick, especially the Neil for Lucic one. Um, and that's going to take time and... You know, they'll have to work out how, how best to host the Oilers on those uh, scenarios. <laughs> oh, God, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. That's probably exactly what's going to happen. I was thinking, come on, like, you're not, this would make up for, like, the McClellan compensation pick, you know, or, you know, and, you know, finally, because I, I think the Oilers would probably would have had to pay that compensate compensatory compensatory pick. Oh, man. James Neal hasn't scored in 2020. Like, he's still, he's been two goals away since since December. So, there was no guarantee he was ever going to score the two goals. But if you prorate them, I think it works out to 2.7 goals or something. And they, so, we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to seeing James Neal in the playoffs. I think he's going to be a force. 
He's going to be, he's going to surprise everyone. I, and, and maybe it's because again, I, as I've said a million times on this podcast, I read, you know, listen to the, the Scotty book where he, he talked about these greatest teams of all time and a number of them, and especially the Maple Leafs in the sixties featured these play players who would have pretty mediocre, non-existent, almost regular seasons, but in the playoffs turned into absolute beasts. So, um, I'm thinking we might see that at a Chris. You know, the Oilers have some veteran players now, is the good news, and we might see that at a players like Chris Russell and James Neal and and um, Mike Smith, some real veteran. Uh, and yet, savvy. one version, one version of the starting playoff lineup that I heard uh, uh, from a savvy and observer is low tide uh, this morning because he's also thinking about playoffs. Of course, had Mike Smith in the backup role for Game One. And had both James Neal and Chris Russell in the press box because he, th- he had a, what he thought was 18 better skaters than those guys. So at least there are options. I guess that's the good news. And having veteran options are nice options. And I think Lotai's thought was better to bring the veterans on if something goes wrong with the uh, younger group. But I don't think Tippett's going to do what Lotai said there. For, I, oh. I, I'll be absolutely flabbergasted if Mike Smith doesn't start in net for the playoffs. And if James Neal's not playing, I, I I'll be and Chris Russell, they're they're all going to be playing in the first game. I'll, I'll well, you need to have a side bet there with Mr. That Lord is a that. prediction <laughs> for me. Those guys are just knowing Pippet and uh, and uh, what do you think of those players? So, alrighty, Bruce, <clears throat> thanks for talking. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.